Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. <laughs> yes, I can clearly see that I rolled a one. <laughs> While the Yeti determines my fate, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Sanity Damage. They're an amazing D&D actual play live show. The campaign features a high seas adventure full of piracy, steampunk, and Lovecraftian horror elements. You can find Sanity Damage on any podcasting platform or watch the party live on YouTube. Catch them bi-weeklies on Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern Time on YouTube at The Homebrew d and I'll throw it in the show notes to make it easy. Oh, and never let a Yeti be the DM. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and um, I have a writer of uh, so many comic books. It was amazing going through the bibliography, and I still have a few to read that I downloaded digitally on Hoopla because I, I love the, the Hoopla app. Um, but this is a, a, a comic book creator that I've wanted to talk to for a while. And actually, right before we started recording, we talked about how he's even been to Delaware to the comic book shop where I go. He was there with Matthew Rosenberg. Um, but we're here to talk about The Displaced, which is coming out through Boom Studios, issue number one, February 14th of 2024. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Ed Brisson. Ed, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How you doing? Um, pretty good. Uh, you know, awesome. we're closing in on the, the holiday there. So just a, a few more days of, of work and I get four days off. So I'm <clears throat> looking forward to that. Nice. Um, so, yeah, let's just jump right into it and talk about The Displaced, which is uh, and I think you were kind enough to send over a, a review copy of, of issue one and uh, really like the big mystery of it. Um, it was funny. Last night, my six year old, when I was putting her to bed, she was going through a stuff of what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And um, she asked what my favorite TV show was, and it's Lost. And I love anything that captures that feel of character-driven, but a big mystery. And issue number one just kind of gave me that that feeling of something going on here, but we have very interesting characters in very like particular, grounded, human situations. And I felt like, oh, this is like right in my wheelhouse with this story. Um, I read that it's kind of had a long gestation period, like something that you've been trying to get made for a while or get to for a while. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what the displaced is all about and 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 your journey to get it right sure. here. <clears throat> so the displace it, it's set in Oshawa, Ontario. Um, at least the first issue is, and that's uh, that's where I'm originally from. So that's uh, um, for uh, non-Canadians probably don't know where Oshawa is, but it's just about an hour outside of Toronto. Where I grew up, I, I moved away from there when I was 14. And <clears throat> the book is a little bit about my own relationship with the city. Because, I, you know, we moved away and I would come back every two years and more and more like the city would change. And it was like less and less recognizable, although the, there are pockets that just right. will never change. It, but, it's uh, right it, on Lake Ontario, right? Yeah, it's right on Lake Ontario. Okay. Uh, so it just changed. And then the people I, you know, I, I grew up with, you know, I'd fall out of touch with and, and lose uh, contact with. This is like just before the Internet was a thing. And so, like, the story is sort of born out of that, about, like, kind of losing connection and, and, and moving away and, and sort of the, the city more or less forgetting about you and, and going on. It's about a whole, like, it's a whole, about a whole mess of other things. It's about news cycles and how we just chew through, uh, you know, traumatic story after traumatic story, moving on to the next. Yeah. And not, not really uh, taking time to, to sit with one and, and really, um, uh, fully understand. I think that, you know, there's a problem right now with news where we turn through news so fast and, and don't sit with stories, don't get a, a deep understanding of them. Touches on that, there's a, there's a huge homeless um, and, and mental health ish, uh, problem in Oshawa, and it sort of also touches on that. So it, it's doing a lot of stuff in, in one larger story. Right. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Lost. Because I, when I first um, sort of came up with the, the concept, it felt to me, I, I grew up as a huge Twilight Zone fan. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. And the concept to me 
which I guess Lost has a very Twilight Zone feel to it as well. I mean, I think but so. It, yeah, it spun out of that sort of my love of that sort of stuff, and uh, you know, like the the setup is, and, and you know, we spend a lot of the first issue. You've read it, so you know, we spend a lot of the first issue getting to know our cast before we really get to what's happening with the story. Uh, but you know, it's largely it's about um, the city of Oshawa vanishes one night and, and um, nobody knows how or why or, or what, what the fuck's going on. Like nobody <laughs> knows what happened to the city. What happened to these, yeah. seven, uh, you know, 170,000 people. There's a hole uh, for a period of time anywhere. There's a hole where it was. Uh, and everyone just like, it's this big thing. And then, you know, when we get into the series, everyone just sort of moves on and, and forgets about it. And these people are sort of left stranded. Uh, I don't want to get, get too spoilery for what, what goes on, but you know, there's, there's, mo- there's many levels to it, you know, that are layers that we start peeling back. So the, the first issue, we had that big thing about what happens to Oshawa. Then in the second, we start getting into what happens to the people. And then the third, fourth beyond like how they kind of new- survive in this new world. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, I was, uh, I came up with this idea first in 2008 and spent a few years um, just trying to figure it out. And, and uh, cause there's sort of a lot of moving parts to it, a lot of bits. And <clears throat> it was because it was about where I was from. I had this like kind of like deeper connection, not saying I don't have this connection to all the stories I write, but there was just, you know, much more personal uh, attachment for me. And I, I wanted to make sure that when I did it, did it right. And we did, it was actually almost very, very nearly my first published work back in 2011. Oh, wow. Uh, me, me and an artist had pitched it together to a fairly big publisher that um, we went back and forth on it for about, I want to say like five to six months. Like it was like in developing it and, and kind of getting it where they wanted it to be yeah but then by the time it was where they wanted it to be it wasn't where we wanted it to be so we you know mutually sort of walked away from it because again i I wanted to make sure it was done right right and then just yeah over the years i you know it's kind of been in a digital drawer collecting dust and i would pull it out two three times a year and just kind of fiddle around with it until until it felt right and at some point I guess about a year, year and a half ago, I, I it felt like all the pieces finally clicked into place. So there was there was like one bit that was missing that I couldn't quite figure out, and it just sort of fell into place one day. I think I was just driving, and and the idea struck me, and I got home and I started working it over again. And I reached out to uh, uh, Luca to see if he'd be interested in in working on it um, as an artist. Um, and he was, and yeah, then we just started developing it up, pitched it to boom. And, you know, here I am today. Wow. Uh, talking to you about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Luca, uh, Casa Linguida, uh, D Kunif is doing the colors and Hassan Otsman Elhau, uh, is lettering it. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I really like the concept as I said earlier, but I really felt you, that whole setup though, with the characters and, you know, you can introduce characters in a lot of different ways um you know stories do generally but to kind of you have such a kind of a big thing happening like the crux of the the all the build up to that to the first issue um you really got to kind of put your folks in a situation <clears throat> to give the audience a a sense of who they are and i thought that was very like like smartly done like i i re- i got a really good glimpse both before and after um the the big event as to like who Emmett was and um you know I, I felt that there was enough to hang on to but then like after it happens and you kind of see how they're reacting to it I just uh, really really liked it thanks a lot man yeah it was uh it was a lot of writing and rewriting that uh that first issue is probably the most I've uh I've whittled away at a at a, a single issue probably in about a decade wow. Um, I want to tell you, you know, before I do these interviews, I, I try and if there's something I can read, read it, do a little bit of digging into your background and, and diff, you know, look up different things. And um, I wanted to say that the, the website League of, uh, I think it's League of Comic Geeks, you know, has uh-huh. a little 
blurb about the displaced, but there's one comment under it by somebody that says, as someone who grew up in Whitby, we wanted this to happen, LOL. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming that's the next town over. <laughs> Whitby's right next door. And, and the, that's too far. I'm, I'm going to look that up now. Yeah. Uh, because there's a scene in the displaced. Uh, I don't know if you remember from reading it. Oh, where the one, that, the yeah. one character is holding out her phone. Uh-huh. And all the phone is, uh, all the, the tweets that she's looking at are from people in the Durham region, which is the, the area around Oshawa. Right. All just like, the whole city's gone, 170,000 people are missing, and everyone's just making jokes, you oh, know, yeah. and memes like about the, the fact the that Oshawa's of, gone. Sure, sure. And, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think even a character comments at one point about, like, Whitby being about, like, 10 kilometers away or something. It's not, it's like right next door. It's like, oh, okay. uh, uh, you know, when I lived in Oshawa, uh, a, a good friend of mine lived on the, the uh, just into Whitby, and I, I used to walk down to this place all the time. I was in South Oshawa, which, if anyone's <clears throat> sort of listening, is like the not. <laughs> it's like it's the bad part of Oshawa, um, but I could usually just walk right down to my friend's house in Whitby, so it's, it's quite close. It, not that I have to have like a you know an an American comparison for for everything, but just reading about Oshawa because I, I, I think. General Motors Canada. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious if like a like Detroit would be a, a fair comparison. Uh, Flint, Michigan might be a better. Oh, okay. uh, it's got a very similar Detroit, maybe, but Detroit's so large. Yeah, uh, comparatively, but um, you know, and, and Detroit or sorry, Flint, they're not like perfect parallels by any means, but they're definitely two cities that were GM cities. They were hugely affected when the plant started to downsize or, you know, when they were shutting down. So right. there, there's a lot of like uh, uh, similarities between the two. Okay. Uh, what do you think in terms of your like relationship to the town and writing about, you know, I mean, a, obviously a very fictional story, but like writing about a real place that you grew up like, what do you think was like the hardest to kind of you know, crack about it? Were you concerned about how the town came off? Were you concerned about capturing something that, you know, some type of nostalgia or something that meant something to you growing up? You know, not really. Like I go back there enough that I, I was, you know, trying to just get myself in the mindset of what it was like when I was there and what these sort of, uh, you know, but the, like the, the people are so different than I am. Uh, that it wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting myself directly in the story. Right. Uh, and, but I think there is a bit of, you know, like uh, Gabby, we don't really get into it uh, too much in the series, but like, it, you know, she's a nurse who worked in Toronto, uh, which a lot of people live in Oshawa, work in Toronto. It's a grueling commute back and forth. But, you know, that's what my mom did, you know, growing up. So there's little bits. It's definitely from my own life. My actually, the house I grew up is in the uh, grew up in is in the comic as Gabby's house. Um, oh, okay. So I put little bits like that in, little bits of things that I remember from Oshawa. I've done that in the past as well. I've said a couple of things in Oshawa at this point. Uh, so I'll put in like diners that uh, you know I used to go to all the time growing up, or that are still around. And uh, yeah, so there's there's little bits. I wouldn't say that, and that people are directly um, influenced by any of my experiences in Oshawa, but the, some of the some of the things that happen or some of the places that they go definitely are. There's um, uh, there actually, you know, the, there's that whole story where they're talking in the bar about the uh, the guy yeah, from our guy high, school, which, high school, which yeah, which is a very actually real thing. From you know, I change a few of the details to hopefully protect. Uh, the poor the, guy, quote unquote, innocent. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, the, uh, the, when they're all in the triage and in the school later on, mm -hmm. you know, that's it, not quite the same, but when I, when I lived in Oshawa, when the schools nearest burnt down and, and some people had to be sort of brought to our school for a little bit. And so there, there are little bits like that, but nothing, yeah. You know, it's not my my Oshawa experience because it would be so severely out of date at this point. Yeah, um, but you you still return there. I mean, is that like current? Like you still go back to Oshawa? Yes. Yeah, so actually, when the book comes out, I'm we're having a like a launch signing 
in Oshawa. So I'm going to be driving down there uh, for, we're doing it on the weekend. So on the 17th, uh, because we figured Valentine's day when the book comes out might not be the best for having a signing, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll be there in February. I was there, um, not 2023, but in 2022, I was there. I, I usually get to make it there every two to three years. Uh, and I, I love just going around and taking photographs of, you know, places I, I grew up. I once had the opportunity, our old house was for sale. Um, and I called the realtor. I didn't, I never let him know I used to live in the house. I just, you know, yeah, pretended to be a prospective buyer and, right. and uh, asked if I could go see, um, you know, if I could see the house because I was, I was considering buying it, which obviously I just wanted and wanted to see the place I grew up because I hadn't seen it at that point. And, like over 20 years, right? Like I hadn't been yeah. inside. And yeah. uh, so that was, that was a cool thing. Uh, a lot of, weirdly, you know, in Oshawa, a lot of the places that I used to um, eat when I was younger, uh, they're still around. Uh, a lot of places are gone, but, you know, we used to go to a diner called Dines all the time. That's been there, I don't know, 50 years or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I like to get down there. Um, as often as I can, but I, I generally only stay for a day or two. I've lost touch with all the friends I used to have, you know, back then. I don't, I don't actually know anyone other than people I've met since who, who live in Oshawa. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's funny. I, I've often thought about the idea of like, if there's a, <coughs> uh, like an open house to go back, uh, you know, the place that I, I grew up, I guess, from like ages three to 12, was a twin home in Linwood, PA, which is right out like near next to Marcus Hook in in, in southern like uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, in the shadow of a bunch of different refineries. And I I'm always like you know we there were five of us in that little tiny house, my brother and I on trundle beds. And I always wondered like you know all these years later, you know thirty some years, like what is that? What does that place look like now? I've often been tempted to, to see if it ever goes on the market to do that thing and just, oh, I just want to go take a look. I'm interested in I buying mean, it. <laughs> every every single realtor, if you have any realtors listening to this, they're probably absolutely going to hate uh, that I did that and that I'm telling you to also do that if you get the opportunity. But yeah. um, absolutely, man. Like uh, it was for me, it was a really... Uh, surreal situation because I I left when I was fourteen. So you said you were twelve. Yeah, not that much different. Uh, and just seeing like um, you know how the house is so much smaller than like I remember it being or feeling like a big house, right? But it's it's such a tiny place we grew up, and it was a I don't is a twin house. Is that like a duplex or a? Or a, a uh, it's like you know it's yeah it's like two houses like stuck yes. next to each other so you know one family lives in one 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 side the other family on the other side right so yeah we call uh call them duplexes here or or semi-detached and that's what i grew up in as well so like it was a yeah a, a, a duplex where it you know we had half the house someone else was in the other half but it was so much smaller than i remember it being all the bedrooms were tiny um it had been like it, it had weirdly been like renovated uh, maybe twice, uh, you know, over the years since, so, you know, the shitty yellow carpet that we had and, and the weird, um, brown laminated banisters that we had when I was growing <laughs> up, uh, were all gone and, and replaced. Um, but it was, when I saw it, it had, was a pretty rough shape. Like someone had renovated it and then it's like, they kicked the shit out of it afterwards. Like okay. they didn't really care. Um, and uh, I remember that, like, the back and front yard, which I used to think were stadium-sized, largely because I had to mow them. And I hated mowing more than anything. I still do. And um, they were tiny. Like, looking back, I don't know what I was complaining about because it couldn't <laughs> have taken more than three minutes to mow that freaking lawn. Uh, um, so, yeah, it was a really, really surreal experience. My only regret... Is that like, uh, you know, as a kid, I had a stash of uh, Playboy magazines uh, that my brother and I had hidden in the attic above the, like when you push up the door, uh -huh. uh, the, 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 like the paneling, the, door, you know, the panel. Yeah. And you push yeah. it over. We hid it 
on top and sort of like it was like kind of taped down so that nobody it wouldn't shift off of there so i wanted at one point i was trying to lose a realtor and i wish i i had had the excuse of just saying like oh, i just want to check for mold or something like that just to see if somebody had found them in the you know like, right uh, 20 years since we'd left or if they were, or still, if they were there. still there like these old collectibles um but yeah it's uh it was an experience it was it was a really surreal experience being in the old house and wow. uh yeah but uh yeah there we are all right let's take a quick break what in the sand hill is happening right now what is that you like bards yeah Oh, you like Band of Bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense. They're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with monsters, working class wizards. You know how we love monsters around here. And my friend Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that. That is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews or you can visit their website, bandabards.com, for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises. Minstrels or anything like that or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. You know, in terms of this, uh, the displaced and, uh, you know, Twilight Zone type of stories. And I'm a big Twilight Zone, you know, fan as well. Um, I could probably rattle off a handful of episodes that I, you know, I haven't watched in a while, but absolutely love. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of the Twilight Zone always had a really good setup to kind of get at something. And you mentioned some of the things this is about, but. You know, the, the thing that stuck out to me in terms of setting it in like your hometown and some of the stuff you're talking about in terms of like memory. Um, I mean, is some does any of this come from a place of like, you know, how you'll be how you'll be remembered or um, your relationship to, you know, your past? You know, because one of the things you hear and you just said it that I went back and everything yeah. was smaller, you know. A little, there was something that happened to me after uh, I started on the book, um, before it was at Boom, but during the like almost 15 years of trying to figure this book out, where I did run into an old friend um, who had no fucking idea who I was. And it was the weirdest thing because I remembered them and they didn't know. But, like, you know, after we talked for about two minutes, it was like, yeah. you could see, okay, cool. Like, this is the, you know, obviously I was, I think I was, you know, probably, I don't know, 30 something at the time. And we hadn't seen each other probably since we were 13 or 14. Okay. How, how the hell I even recognized the person, you know, it was just right. all contextually, I was in the right area and, and they looked like how I remembered. Um, and so that I, so I have experienced that. Uh, and I think we all probably have, if we run into old people who are just like, they're not, they're not quite sure. But uh, that definitely uh, oddly helped inform like how some of those stuff worked in the book going forward, and, and that yeah. I could I could tap into that feeling a little bit for right. sure. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I think I, I've definitely had that happen to me, and uh, it, it, it is unsettling. I, I joke that it's proof that like there's some type of like multiverse. Maybe I've just slipped into another timeline where I I never right. met that person. <laughs> but yeah, I well, I after I graduated, uh, well, eight, like eighth grade. Uh, I worked at my old grade school as a janitor and there was a crew of about five or six guys that all used to go to the, the Catholic grade school, which has since closed and has been like empty for a number of years. But um, back then we, we worked there after school and um, there was an older, there was another guy who was a few years older than us who, you know, drove a really cool car. I think it was a, like a, a, a 60s Mustang and <laughs> like was in kind of in charge of the crew and he just seemed like super cool. And I worked with him for like two or three years. And like a number of years later, I ran into him and I was so excited because I hadn't seen him in like 15 years. 
just had no idea who I was. I got to the point where I was naming like everybody else on the crew. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and Jim. And he's like, no. <laughs> he, came, he, came, he came back later because he was, I was working at a restaurant at the time and he was eating there. He goes, you know, I think I do remember you now. And I'm like, he's just saying that to be nice. Yeah. This man does not remember me at all. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Now, yeah. for me, it was actually a guy who I, actually, when I previously mentioned the, the school that had burnt down, a bunch of kids end up coming to our school from that school. Um, one of those kids I ended up becoming really good friends with for like a good, you know, about, can't remember if it was my last year living there. It might have been my last year in Oshawa. And we were quite good friends. And and so it was like, you know, when I ran into him, I'm like, hey, man, like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I just like, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And I was like telling him all these, like, you know, at first he wasn't, and I'm, I'm telling him all these things we've done together, you know, like, uh, it, like for me, it, you know, uh, I, like I had listened to hip hop earlier, but when I was 13, 14, I really got into it. And it was because of his, his older brother who had this incredible collection uh, of music in this, you know, like eight, late eighties. So it was like, there's not, it was not a ton available. And so for me, that was such a, like a formative thing. And mm -hmm. Yeah, when I mentioned it to him, because he and I used to listen to hip hop all the time, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't. Uh, no, I grew up. I don't listen to that anymore." And I was so bummed out about it because I, I like, I still do. Uh, you know, I, I have fairly eclectic taste, but uh, yeah, right. it was such a formative thing for me. Yeah, yeah, that is too funny. Um, uh, you know, so uh, as you kind of like put this book together, and and it, it uh you know, we're kind of getting it to this place now and working with Luca and the rest of the creative team. Um, do you, how do you think your writing since you first started on this idea has kind of influenced the story? Cause if it's something that you had, it was almost your first published work. And since mm -hmm. then you've worked for Marvel, you've had, you know, how many different like crime style comics, whether or not it's murder book or, you know, comeback or, you know, um, sheltered uh, you know how do you think the story has been not plot wise but maybe you know tone or mood or something by all these other things that you've kind of done so i think totally like originally the original version of it was much more like about um the spectacle of it and just like the the how crazy it was and it was about these people you know still this like very similar in that they they were trying to survive but we had what was more or less like a, like a bad guy in the first draft who was sort of had answers to what was going on and was he believed that uh that something bad was was happening and that the people sort of needed to be uh for lack of a better term, exterminated like they should have gone with the with the city. Okay. And so there was this like bad guy role, like very sort of not like, you know, you know, mustache twirling, uh, sinister type, but like just a bad guy sort of hidden amongst them. And now like we I sort of like that's the part that like it fell into place when I excised that character. When I took him out of it, it's when everything sort of fell back into place. Because it's much more about, you know, about our connections, but it's about sort of each person's individual sort of, you know, loss. Like people have lost family um, and and there's no answers for them as to what happened. And they're trying to cope with that. Some people, you know, for one character, it's almost like he's, he's coping with the uh, um, feelings of how he's he's kind of been freed by a bunch of burden. So it's a lot. It be, it's become much more about the people and how they're reacting and how they're trying to survive uh, and just coping with this situation of the, of the city being gone, of them being forgotten by the general populace rather than them also then having to fight some external baddie, you know, or I guess embedded baddie. Right. There is, the real struggle for them comes from how different people within the group uh, choose to adapt and choose to survive like you know like, like uh, you know boiling issue too a little bit but i think it's more about the um the the story than it is necessarily about the spoilers and the bits um 
you know, if you if you have the scenario where people can't remember you, it it sucks because like you can't uh, you can't have a job. They don't have bank cards. They don't have apartments. They don't have homes. You know, they can't rent. They can't buy. Right. Uh, you know, in for in no sort of like verifiable way do they exist anymore, and and nobody can hold a memory of them. So those are those people who are going to try and find sort of lawful ways to exist within that. And then there are others who are like, well, shit, like if you can't remember who I am the second I walk out the store, then what's to stop me from just taking what I want and, and walking out the door? Yeah. Uh, and that sort of escalates and there there's there will be there's a schism within the group. But it's more about like the 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 different I- ideologies of having to, you know, deal with this and try to survive in in this post Oshawa world uh rather than it is, you know, sort of a classic uh bad guy coming trying to wipe them out. And I think it it feels much more personal. It feels I don't want to say like more mature, but it feels it, it just feels good. It feels good. Uh, okay. You know, uh, I just really like the way that it came together. Yeah. Uh, Is it a, uh, that way? A plan number of it? Are there a plan number of issues as of right now? So we have five issues right now. I'm uh, okay. I'm always and forever sort of plotting, you know, ways to make things continue. Uh, should there be a readership? It's a pretty tough time right now in the industry. So getting anything beyond five is a little bit. Uh, hard, but uh, I'm yeah. going to be pushing this one pretty hard to see if we can't maybe get yeah. a second volume going. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, re- I just, I really liked it. I just can't say that enough. That, um, I'm always looking for, like I said, something like that that has like a really big kind of premise and is kind of intensely character driven. And, you know, that's why Lost is kind of like a thing like that. When that hit in like 2004, like just totally captured my imagination um and i was like all in on that that show and i really loved it um and you know i think not that there's anything like really specific that reminds me of it other than that idea of having a big concept and being really character driven and i just think that um it was like right in my wheelhouse so when i read the description of it i wanted to talk to you and 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 check it out and uh it sounded like something that I think our listeners would really like too. So well, I hope I hope they do. Um, speaking, I want to get back to kind of the, the twilight zone. Um, do you, you know, because I'm always, uh, I'll, I'll take any chance I can to talk about the twilight zone. Uh, are there particular episodes that you, you know, um, still really cherish or will so, ever revisit or remember to, you know, that you, that you, you, you really enjoyed? Yeah, one of my favorite, uh, I, so I think, um, so I first came to Twilight Zone in the 80s, you know, when they did the 80s series that was um, mid-80s to, I can't remember how many seasons it ran, I think for about four or five seasons. Uh, that that was my first Twilight Zone, and then it wasn't until I went back and watched all the old uh, Black and White okay. Rod Serling stuff. But uh, one of my favorite episodes, of all time is from the 80s run it's called button button and it's based on a richard matheson story of the same name it's a short story oh okay um well you can't go wrong with I, matheson and his story is great like i like his story but the the um episode which he maybe also wrote um is better than the short story i think and okay. then there was a film made based on the short story and the, or the Twilight Zone episode, I'm not wi- sure which same thing, I guess, called The Box by the same guy who did Donnie Darko, which is awful. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, no, is, but, that, is, the, is the movie, the bo- is that like uh, Jason Bateman in that? No, um, that's The Gift, right? Oh, well, I, I was the close. <laughs> the, bo- yeah. the Box is, uh, okay. I think it's James Marsden and... Cameron Diaz, I want to okay. say. Okay. Uh, All right. Came out. Uh, I don't know. Uh, probably about fifteen years ago now. Okay. But the episode "Button Button," which you could probably find on YouTube, I don't know if '80s um, Twilight Zone is streaming anywhere else right now. It's like just such a simple setup where um, it's Mayor Winningham, uh, and I can't remember who plays her husband, but a uh, a man just shows up at the door 
with a box with a button on top. And it's like, if you press this button, we'll give you $200,000, but uh, somebody will die. And oh, okay. you know, they want to know who it is. He's like, no, don't worry. It's not anyone you know. And then he just, he leaves the box there for days. Okay. Until like they, you know, they're poor, not poor, but they're, they need the money. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they, they're struggling. And so it becomes this huge sort of debate between the two of them. This money will, will take care of all their problems. It's, you know, uh, $200,000. And, and the person who dies, they're like, you know, they don't know them. People die every day. People die in car accidents in the city, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a big back and forth argument about whether or not they should push the button. Uh, I don't want to spoil the episode <laughs> for anyone who wants to watch it. So that's what I'll leave off there. But it's, it's, an, okay. it's an incredibly great episode. It has one of my sort of favorite endings. Um, there's a line at the end that is just, uh, that is the part where it deviates from the short story is it, just the little end stinger bit uh, that just uh, makes it such a sweet story. Uh, and sweet, not in a sense of being wholesome or, or, or nice, just like a, a perfect Twilight Zone sort of moment at the end. Um, you know, there's the, uh, but with the old black and white, there's, I don't know, there's a ton of them. The the one I think that is probably a lot of people's favorite as well as the one with um, Burgess Meredith. I'm forgetting the name of the actual title. So the man. Um, at the end of the world with the. Yeah, one, one with the glasses. Time enough at last. I believe that's yeah. You might be right. Uh, you know where he's the bank uh, bank employee who keeps getting in shit for reading at work. Yeah, uh, and happens to be in the vault when the the nukes go off, and right. now he's got time to read. But yeah, uh, his class class break. Yeah, uh, I, I love those those sort of you know like those. I love those sort of ironic uh, twist endings. Uh, uh, you know when and Twilight Zone when it does you know. It can just really get you. When they do them, they do this just so well. Um, but yeah, I grew up, like I said, I, 80s. And then, you know, right because I was interested in the 80s Twilight Zone, my dad thought I had to watch all the Rod Serling black and white ones. <laughs> and so, which he wasn't wrong. Like, I, I dug the hell out of them. So, you know, that was a lot of my 80s, early 90s was watching that. Yeah, I always liked the anthology style shows. Um you know, because they in the 80s and into the 90s, like they kind of had a revamp Twilight Zone, a revamp Outer Limits. There was a, um, I mean, Tales from the Crypt, you know, those mm-hmm. like adapted like EC horror stories. And then you had to go back and watch some of the original black and white uh, were, you know, uh, phenomenal. But I always think of like, uh, I think To Serve Man was probably one of my my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Um, which is when the, the aliens come and they got to translate their book. And, uh, that was always one that I, I really liked that kind of had that, that gut punch at the, at the end of it It was like a perfect encapsulation of a a twilight zone episode. But I also like the schmaltzy ones, um, you know, too, at times where had, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but there's one where there's like a death comes to some guy and he has to give like his last big pitch uh, to kind of convince death not to take him and goes on from there. But yeah, I, I was a, a big fan of those types of uh, stories. And Richard Matheson, I think, you know, has a, had a number of them. Yeah, no, there was, um, I thinking about it now, think about, remember there's the amazing stories from eight, the mid eighties as well. Yeah. That was another with, good series too. Which uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the first. Ep- I'm just looking it up right here because the first episode I remember as a kid. Uh, maybe it wasn't the first episode. There was an episode where it was the mother who was just um, couldn't get like a moment to herself, and she realizes when she yells "stop," the whole world would freeze. And uh, I read. That, I thought it was in the first episode, but maybe not. It was a it was amazing episode where it's just like right. it, it's a little bit corny because it's eighties, yeah. but um, yeah, I had the the first episode. Uh, sorry, in that episode, you know, she her kids are screaming, her husband's complaining about something. She'll stop, everything stops, and she uses it to get you know sort of time to herself throughout 
about the old end kicker. It's like it's almost like it should be a Twilight Zone episode because the whole end kicker is everyone's panicking because nuclear war is about to break out and she yells stop and the whole world stops. But you could see like the nuclear war, uh, the nuclear missile is like just like feet above the ground. So she's stuck there because if she she says, you know, it could go again. Um, there goes the world. And it's like those sort of endings. I just, yeah, I just, I live for that. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I agree. I, 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 um, it's one of those things that like, uh, when my kids are older, I'm like, uh, you know, I, I always try and get them into certain things and they, they have their own tastes, but like, I, I hope they don't push back too much on, uh, some of the twilight zone stuff just because i think it's it's really excellent storytelling as well like they're not just entertaining like they're and it's some of like the best writers that they had at that time penning a lot of those twilight zone episodes you know mm-hmm. and you know what i just looked it up and that episode's called a little piece of quiet and it is actually twilight zone so i'm an idiot uh <laughs> i don't know why i thought it was amazing stories <laughs> Well, Amazing Stories was also uh, another good anthology sure. style show in like mid the mid eighties. So absolutely no, directed no by worries. directed by Wes Craven. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, my actually speaking of that, like with kids, my kid is uh, you know lucky enough she's into horror as well. I'm a big horror fan and really loves the Twilight Zone uh, series, old black and white in the eighties. Uh, and we were watching them together uh, until my dad visited and actually stole my. He's got my DVD collection of, of, but so it's almost like gone full circle um, because he's taken him back across the country with him. And uh, every time I ask him to mail him back, he's like, yeah, sure. At some point. Okay. I'm without my twilight zones. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Oh, he'll he'll get around. Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I just got to buy a new set. Um, No, it's probably worth it. I don't know if they're streaming anywhere. So, you know, it's, it's weird. It, it feels like that's a, especially given the popularity of Black uh, Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, feels like an obvious uh, thing to have it streaming for folks. But yeah, uh, well, I so um, I mean, not that like having the displaced is isn't enough, but um, it, is there anything else you got coming out soon? I mean, you're were you working on the Predator? Yeah, so I have a new Predator series coming out uh, also in February. Uh, it's called uh, the Predator, Predator: The Last Hunt. Uh, so it's the third arc um, that follows uh, Theta, who we, you know, who we've been following since I started writing Predator. It is kicked about six years. So between each arc, we generally jump about five or six years. In time, so this one's no different. We're about six years after the events of the second arc, and uh, Theta and Palo are on the hunt. They're trying to find. Um, in the second arc, we'd established that predators kind of keep stasis farms where they keep people in stasis uh, to let them loose to hunt them in their on their um, preserve planet. And so Theta has been trying to figure out where these stasis farms are because. She knows they've got hundreds, maybe thousands of people kept in stasis, wants to rescue them. So we're following her and Palo as they, they finally, after six years of searching, may have found. Um, and things go, like she thinks she's found them. Things go really bad from there, uh, <laughs> you know, as is the case. And so it, it turns out that like all of her, so she's over the years been hunting predators. That's sort of her, more or less her occupation. She's a predator hunter. Right. And uh, that's going to finally come back uh, to bite her in the ass, more or less. Uh, she's been, she's on too many predators radar now to continue to get away with it. And that's sort of the direction we're taking this, this one in. It's a, it's pretty dark. It's pretty brutal. Uh, we got Francisco Mana on art, who's just absolutely killing it. Um, I just, was looking at the first issue a couple of days ago. Um, the uh, we've got a couple surprise characters coming up that I don't want to spoil, but uh, I think there's like for longtime fans of Predator, there's going to be some stuff in there that uh, they'll be pretty excited. Awesome! Yeah, big February. That's a that's yes. A, sounds great. And then also, I think in January, maybe not February, January, uh, the collection of Sins of the Salton Sea, which is the AWA. 
published by AWA. It's just a book I yeah. did with uh, C.P. Smith, which is sort of a crime slash supernatural about a high gone horribly, horribly wrong. And as a result, the world might end. And uh, that, that so, is wrong. Know, that's that's wrong. <laughs> as wrong as possible. Uh, it was a really cool book. I, I was uh, really excited to have that book come out. You know, I got to work with Axel again, who was my editor when I first started over at Marvel. Yeah. I really enjoyed working with him. I think he's an incredibly smart editor. Um, so that uh, the series came out earlier this year. The trade is out mid to late january at some point so i'm very excited uh to get that into people's hands and it's a pretty good price i, I just I, I just assumed it was 20 bucks but apparently it's 12.99 so five issues worth of content so if you're looking yeah. for uh some bargain get a little bit of bang for your buck uh that's out then and uh yeah other than that i've got a few things in the works but uh nothing announced yet so nothing i can really talk about okay um, real quick before I let you go, I wanted to ask because you've you know you've done like so many different things in terms of uh, w- whether you know uh, with Marvel or you know other publishers. Um, but it's it looked like you had a pretty good response. I guess it was last year to Catch and Release, a uh, murder book, like, like crowdfunding it. Do you ever think you'd yes. you know return to crowdfunding? Uh I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I it's that's a that's fair a answer. <laughs> it's uh. I don't mind uh, crowdfunding. It's a lot of work. Um, I would like to do another murder book, um, like graphic novella in that same sort of style. Yeah. Uh, And I have a story that I've kind of been working on with an eye to do that, but I'm not like rushing in to do it. Um, uh, So it'll maybe happen at some point. I I do have a couple of things that I am debating running through crowdfunding but one is like a uh, one is a weird is a crime book that uh, I, I had done a couple of years ago uh, four or five years ago now under a really sort of weird deal where um, it was with a digital company like that so they you know they helped uh, yeah. put it out and stuff and they've then almost immediately disappeared and the agreement though rights wise is like i couldn't put it out uh until five years later so the, the five years is up uh the beginning of 2024 so i'm debating kickstarting that because it's already done right it'll be a thing that we could just kickstart and put almost right into people's hands yeah but uh yeah at this point that's those are the only two things that are kind of a maybe and uh i don't know that i'm in a huge rush to do it but we'll We'll see what happens. 2024 is looking to be like um, pretty big. Like I, I, I might be pretty jam packed okay. already and adding a, a, a Kickstarter onto it is it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of work like getting that shipping. And it's also like a bit of a um, logistical nightmare because I'm in Canada. Uh, if I ship books from Canada, the people in the state, I'd have to charge, you know, fifteen to twenty dollars to ship it. Nobody likes that, uh, so I always have to arrange, you know, a fulfillment center in the states, and that just—that's a whole other thing that takes sort of more money uh, away and, and makes it. Um, it can't. It can't just really eat into the the um, the earnings for the book, which you know you want to hit a point where like it, it's worth it for everyone to do it, and so yeah, no, no, no. yeah, I mean, we'll that see. totally makes sense. You know, it sounds, I, that sounds a little bit ungrateful, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but it's I just know, like, I don't I don't think it, it does at all. I mean, I've I've interviewed and talked to, you know, a fair number of indie comic book creators that use Kickstarter, like Charlie Stickney. And um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, some folks have great success with it, but yeah, it's certainly nobody says it's easy. Like everyone says no, yeah. it is a ton of work. Um, oh, it, I, it, I, did a, it did well enough for us. Like, I, you know, I've got no complaints yeah. on that that end it's just uh it's right. just fun really making sure i got the time and part of it is like i self-published uh well before doing image marvel dc i self-published for years and so i have a lot of trouble letting go so when i'm doing like a a, a creator owned yeah i have a little bit of trouble letting go of of any of the responsibilities i want to sort of get my own hands dirty and you know i want to be the one packing up every package or at least i want to be the one 
uh, forcing my kid to pack up every package or whatever it is. Right. Like, um, but I, like, I do have like a straight crime book that's coming out through a publisher in, in 2024. It's not, it's not been announced yet. So that's already kind of scratching that itch as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's why I may wait a little bit, may wait until 2025, but we'll see. Nice. Um, Oh, speaking of crowdfunding, though, uh, this campaign had already ended, but there's a creator. His name's Oscar Osario, and he has a, an he had a kick. He crowdfunded an anthology called "Don't Push the Red Button," and oh, yeah. he his prompt to the writers and artists was to kind of use the idea of the Matheson like button button or the button story and create your. You, whatever you wanted to do out of it. And I, I think it was successfully crowdfunded. Um, huh. But since, uh, since you were mentioning it, I throw that out there. If you ever see it out in, in the wild, uh, you'll have to check it out. If you like that story to see what some indie comic creators came up with for uh, don't push the red button. Awesome. I'll give that one a, a look. But uh, Ed, thank you so much for no, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, all right. Mm -hmm. So listeners, uh, February 14th, get your orders in before final order cutoff. You all know what the final order cutoff is for um, the displaced. Uh, check out Predator, especially if you're a Predator fan. I still haven't seen Prey yet. It's on my list. I'm going to watch it. It's and, good. Uh, I gotta. I want to get into more of the Predator lore, so um, awesome. I'm excited for the the new Predator, the last hunt in February. And yeah, we'll we'll I'll put links in the show notes for everybody so they can find you on social media so they'll know when uh, more things get announced um especially Perfect. if you got a, a new a new crime one coming out um and i think if, if anyone hasn't read catch and release murder book i think it's still available on your website right um yeah you can get it through my website um there is and you know if you like that um uh, you can go out and check out like i did a, a book with adam gorham through image years ago now called the violent which is like very similar ish you mm -hmm. know it's a straight Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now 